climbers, there was a recent article written, is old music killing new music, stating that 70% of all streamed music is old songs and not new songs. What does this mean? Is it true? And what can be changed? That's what we're getting into today. Welcome to the climb! This is a show dedicated to helping singers, songwriters, and indie artists like you create leverage in the music industry. Leverage is what you're going to need to get ahead. It's all about traffic. It's all about showing what kind of revenue you can create first, and then it's about your talent. Okay, that doesn't mean you got to forsake the talent, but it just is what's going on. And, uh, you know, focusing on traffic and focusing on the new music business is how you're going to get the team around you that you want to get and how you're going to make a living as a singer, songwriter, artist. And that's why we created this show. It's designed to help you because we want you to win. It's called The Climb, C-L-I-M-B, Creating Leverage in the Music Business. That is a backstronym from my genius co-host, Mr. Brent Baxter. Brent's an award-winning hit songwriter with cuts by Alan Jackson, Lady A, Joe Nichols, and more. Randy Travis, too. Got a couple number ones last year in Southern Gospel. So the train is still on the tracks. He's still making miracles happen. And he helps songwriters like you turn pro by revealing how to write like a pro, do business like a pro, and then on the regular, he's going to give you the opportunity to create relationships with the pros so that you can climb that ladder and do it yourself. You can find Brent very easily at songwritingpro.com. Once again, that's songwritingpro.com. And I would like to introduce you to my co-host, Johnny Dwinell. Johnny owns Daredevil Production. They're breaking artists digitally by identifying new fans through data. Listen, if you're an artist looking to increase your streams, blow up your video views, sell more live show tickets, and get discovered by new fans, TV, and music industry pros, then Daredevil Production can help. Daredevil has worked with multi-platinum artists like Colin Ray, Tracy Lawrence, Ty Herndon, and Andy Griggs, just to name a few. You can find Johnny at DaredevilProduction.com. That is production singular, no S, and there is no S because there is no other Johnny D. Hey there, what's happening? Hey, man, I should uh, I should try my best DJ voice today in, in honor of uh, what, Howard Hesman. Is that a name? Dr. Johnny uh, Fever? Yeah. yeah, Dad. Yeah, man. Yeah, yeah passed man. away yesterday at the time of this recording. And uh, love me some WKFR in Cincinnati, and love me some Dr. Johnny Fever. And yeah, booger. <laughs> Give it to me straight, Doctor. I can take it. <laughs> yeah, I love so, him. Man. I loved him. I loved him in Spinal Tap. <laughs> oh yeah, he, yeah, he's just great. Which is so. funny. Okay, for all the musicians that know Spinal Tap, and if you don't know it, shame on you. You should. Everybody, every single artist in every genre needs to watch that. But um, fun fact about Spinal Tap was Paul Shortino, who's the singer who plays Duke Fame in that, uh, which is you know who Howard Hesman is managing, like just sucks in front of the camera. He's got a golden voice. I'm a huge Paul Shortino fan. <laughs> He's like an awesome, awesome singer. And evidently he just, I mean, like, you know how you have like really, really bad singers? Well, that's how he is at acting. <laughs> Terrible. And this is a situation where it's all like, uh, they're just, they were given, literally given outlines. And mm-hmm. if there's one piece of information that has to be said, then that's in the outline, but you're just, it's complete improvisation. That's the way the whole movie is shot. And Paul couldn't do it. <laughs> And then, like it was, just, he was just sticking up the whole scene. So they literally called Howard Hessman at the last minute, and he just rushed right down to the set and then walked in as the yo, know, hey, yeah, we're in the Enormo Dome or something. I don't know. It's great, sold out. Yeah, listen, uh, we'd love to stay and talk, but we've got to go to the lobby and wait for the limo. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like they just don't want to give Final Tap the time of day. You know, it's awesome. Yeah, that's funny. So good. Um, all right. So, uh, hey, um, we're going we're gonna to dig into this article here and kind of read through this and talk about what's happening. I mean, everything that this guy says is, is accurate. It's true. It's data. But I think the, it's being – it, the way it's being characterized and the way that it's the headlines are coming out and certainly the comments that I've seen on this piece of content on this particular essay are, it's just all negative. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so I, I get, once again, crisis, right. Danger and opportunity. I keep looking at the opportunity and I think that it's, 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 well, it's not good news. Um, and it certainly should be alarming. It's also explainable. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're going to kind of dig into that. But before we do, real quick, join the Climb community. If you haven't done so, it's facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash the Climb community. This is singers, songwriters, indie artists, indie musicians helping each other out. It's a really uh, active community. Lots of comments, lots of stuff going back and forth. And we're really proud of the activity that we've built in there. So this is not a ghost town type thing. It's all, it's all, you know, it's all jam, no spam. Mm-hmm. And we, we want to hear everything you got to say. You can promote in here, but you got to do it in the right place. Okay. And so literally if we're giving you a place to promote and you promote in the wrong place, then you're just a jerk and you're not paying attention <laughs> not or you're an idiot. Right. One, one of the two. Like it's not, it's not that difficult. We tell you what to do. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> and if you just take five seconds before you post that thing you want to promote and figure out where to put it, uh, nobody's, nobody's going to give you any crap, you know, but we, we got new winners today from Wednesday. Yeah, we sure do. So every Wednesday we post our new heights, uh, which is the place where we encourage you to come by and share your music related wins for the week and or recent ones. And so just a couple of these we're going to share that thankfully we have more than we can share. Uh, but Carrie Cunningham music. Uh, climber Carrie Cunningham. Yep, I'm having continued success with interviews and receiving a lot of reviews on my music. So here's one that came out yesterday. So she shared a link, and so there's a link to there. So getting some getting some attention there. So good job, Carrie. Um, uh, I should say uh-huh. this real quick. I'm going to jump in. Carrie is um, she's on board with the course and was in the challenge. Was an active member in the challenge. And Carrie, I know you're already doing this, but every single piece of press that you get, you need to save that so that you can take screenshots of it and put it in the Facebook ads that you're going to be running for. What social proof of how cool you are? That's right. Uh, let's see. Climber Kathy Wallace said, had a great meeting with a publisher that lasted over one and a half hours. So that's a lot of chunk out of a publisher's day. So good job, Kathy. Apparently you Hell are yeah. a good hang and a good writer. And I already know you're a good writer and I hung with you and you're sweet too. So, hey, there we go. So good <clears throat> job, Kathy. Uh, let's see here. Uh, Joe Speranzella. Sorry about the name. Says, after some very critical health issues, I'm reestablishing my co-writes. So also didn't mean to ghost anybody, but apparently he almost ghosted himself. So Joe, I'm glad you're feeling better. Welcome back, buddy. Yeah, Welcome back and getting his co-writes. So one thing I love about that, there's all different kinds of, of wins and it's what's a win for you. You know, don't worry about what other people might consider a win or like I'm embarrassed that I consider this a win because it may not be big enough. Maybe it's just I'm reestablishing co-writes or I had a meeting where other people might be posting, signing songs or getting cuts or whatever. No. They all win, big and small. We love them all. We want you to share those with us so we can all celebrate. So congrats to these climbers and keep on climbing. 
Absolutely right. Love it. So make sure you subscribe to the podcast or follow it, depending on what platform you're on. Mm-hmm. Leave a rating and review. That helps us out tremendously. And uh, lastly, tell a friend about it. That's the big thing. I mean, if you're getting value out of this, then uh, you know we, we take a while. It, it's, we don't have three-minute episodes. So <laughs> yeah. you're, you're, you're investing time in us. We, we do not take that lightly. We do not take that for granted. But for gosh sakes, tell somebody else about it, too, because they could use the help, right? That's right. <clears throat> All right, so let's get into this. Um, I'm going to read this article. We're going to unpack this as we go along. Um, this article was written by a uh, gentleman by the name of Ted Goya. I'm, I think I'm pronouncing that right, but it's G-I-O-I-A. So I'm just going to go with Goya and forgive me, Ted, if I'm – Destroying your last name. I don't, um, I don't, my, my normal, this is how you pronounce it, radar is not <laughs> functional here. Um, and um, it, it's been reprinted a lot. It was in the Atlantic, it was in uh, a couple other like, music places. So here it is. Let's unpack it. It's in the title is this Old Music Killing New Music. I had a hunch that old songs were taking over music streaming platforms, he says, but even. But even I was shocked when I saw the most recent numbers. According to MRC data, old songs now represent 70% of the United States music market. The, the this is old. for streaming. So old is a good question. Old, and keep this in mind, old equals 18 months or older. Okay. Okay. 18 months year or and a half. older. Yeah. Year and a half or older. Uh, a year and a half to... 80 years ago, you know, whatever, like, yeah. like old. So those making a living from new music, especially that endangered species known as the working musician, in other words, our audience, have to look on these figures with fear and trembling, he says. Okay, I don't agree with this. He says, but the news gets worse. The new music market is actually shrinking. All the growth in the market is coming from old songs. Just consider these facts. The 200 most popular tracks now account for less than 5% of total streams. It was twice that rate just three years ago. And the mix of songs actually purchased by consumers is even more tilted to older music. The current list of the most downloaded tracks on iTunes is filled with the names of bands from the last century, such as Creedence Clearwater Revival and The Police. Um, so just, by the way, just looking at that, the, the 200 most popular tracks count for less than 5% of the mm-hmm. total streams is in part due to certainly there's a lot of traffic in the old mm-hmm. music, but also that the 200 most, you know, there, there's so many more streams that are going on too. There's a big growth in the middle class there too. Yeah. He's not talking about just yet. Okay? I, I have so many thoughts on this already, but I want to hear a little bit more before I go off. Okay, so I saw it myself last week in a retail store where a youngster at the cash register was singing along with Sting on Message in a Bottle from 1979 as it blasted on the radio. A few days earlier, I had a similar experience at a local diner where the entire staff was under 30, but every song more than 40 years old. I asked my server, why are you playing this old music? And she looked at me in surprise before answering, oh, I like these songs. The reasons are complex, more than just the appeal of old tunes. I'm so glad that he said that, okay? Hmm. But the end result is unmistakable. Never before in history have new tracks attained hit status while generating so little cultural impact, right? I'm going to repeat that. Never before in history have new tracks attained hit status while generating so little cultural impact 
impact. Mm. In fact, the audience seems to be embracing en masse the hits of decades past. Success was always short-lived in the music business, but now it hardly makes a ripple on the attention spans of the mass market. Um, a few hearty souls take solace in the fact that only songs released in the last 18 months get classified as in the new, as new in the MRC database. Mm-hmm. But that's cold comfort indeed. I doubt these old playlists consist of songs from the year before last. And even if they do, this still represents a stinging repudiation of the pop culture industry, which is almost entirely focused on what's happening right now. Um, Every week I hear from hundreds of publicists, labels, band managers, and other professionals who want to hype the newest new thing for the simple reason that their livelihoods depend on it. The entire business model of the music industry is built on promoting new songs. As a music writer, I'm expected to do the same as our radio stations, retailers, DJs, nightclub owners, editors, playlist curators, and everyone else with skin in the game. Yet all the evidence indicates that few are paying attention. Just consider the recent reaction when Grammy Awards were postponed. Perhaps I should say the lack of reaction Mm -hmm. because the response was a little more than a yawn. I follow thousands of music professionals on social media, and I didn't encounter a single expression of annoyance or regret that the biggest annual event in the new music uh, had been put on hold. He said, that's ominous. Can you imagine how angry fans would be if the Super Bowl or the NBA finals were delayed? Mm-hmm. People would riot in the streets if they canceled Carnival in Rio or just Bloomsday in Dublin. I, I'd hear an outcry on social media, but the Grammy Awards go missing in action and hardly anyone notices. The declining TV audience for the Grammy show underscores this shift. In 2021, viewership for the Grammy Awards collapsed 53% from the previous year, from 18.7 million viewers in 2020 to 8.8 million viewers in 2021. It was the least watched Grammy broadcast of all time. And not for nothing, side note, the the K-pop group BTS had a, a listening, live listening yeah. or live watching event, and they outdrew the Grammys on their live watching <laughs> event on Facebook. Even the core audience for new music couldn't be bothered. Around 98% of people between the ages of 18 and 49 had something better to do than watch the biggest music celebration of the year. As, a, as an example here, a decade ago, some perspective, 40 million people watched the Grammy Awards. That's a meaningful audience. But now the devoted fans of this event are starting to resemble a tiny subculture. More people pay attention to streams of video games on Twitch, which boasts 30 million daily visitors or the latest reality TV show. In fact, musicians would probably do better getting placements in Fortnite than signing a record deal in 2022. At least they would have access to a growing demographic. So let's just start there. We got more to talk about, but uh, you know, this is all true. I think the Grammy Awards are their own issue. Yeah, because the same thing is happening not for nothing in Oscars and the Golden Globes and all the award shows. Hollywood's gone off the frickin' rails Mm -hmm. and decided that because they're famous, that they're also somehow politicians. Right, and so they keep using that platform as a um, as a pulpit, like a bully pulpit. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. To, to express their opinion about crap that they know nothing about, you know? And uh, frankly, it, it, it doesn't matter whether you agree with it or disagree with it. These are not experts. And, and it's clear that the audience 
wants to hear about the music and mm-hmm. they don't want to look at anybody from the music industry or from Hollywood and talk about politics with them. Well, I mean, for one thing, like I say with the Oscars, you know, the biggest movies are Marvel movies, right? And I think mm-hmm. Black Panther is maybe the only one that's been up for an Oscar for anything. Other than that, it's a bunch of movies that most people don't know or care about. I'm not saying they're not right. great quality, yeah. but I'm saying for the masses, they don't know or care. They don't do the commercial success that, that yeah, like Marvel. Like, exactly. Enjoy. They're like, I don't know. I just saw Spider-Man and Thor this year, and I thought they were awesome. I don't even know what these other movies are. So I think that's part of it. Now, you wouldn't say that with music because those are the popular songs of the time, the hit artists of the time. So I think that's that's part. But, yeah, I think the politics is definitely a thing, too. And that's that's for the Grammys. I kind of disassociate I disassociate the, the argument that he's making here. I, I think he adds Grammys in there to put some meat in the bone because mm-hmm. it's a pretty healthy article here. But I think it's a separate issue. I really yeah. do. I, I I don't think that people have a declining interest in new music, and that's why they don't watch the Grammys. Because then that would also suggest that the same uh, about the Oscars, Oscars or the Golden Globes, yeah. but they're all tanking because nobody gives a crap anymore. You know <laughs> right, what I mean? Yeah. And, 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 and by the way, like if you think about how those shows were born, just realistically, they were all born before 1980. In fact, mm-hmm. they were born in the fifties, right? Or the forties and, or before TV even existed. And when you had three channels on television and 300 million people, mm-hmm. You know, you're going to get a huge audience. Yeah. Right. And the same in the same way that uh, we've mentioned that let's look at something that people really loved as an as, as an as an answer to this. Like when Seinfeld's last episode, May 28th, 1998, was aired, it was the overpriced uh, advertising media hype mm-hmm. that uh, equal to the Super Bowl, and people were spending a fortune to get their commercial on that last episode mm-hmm. because everybody loved Seinfeld, and he went out on top. He was still a number one rated show, and in fact, that show had the highest, the biggest audience, the biggest television audience of the decade. Of the 1990s. That's something, right? Yeah. But in comparison, that audience for the last episode of Seinfeld did not come close to a third-rated, bottom-of-the-barrel sitcom that's about to be like canceled in 1979. <laughs> yeah. And so, by the way, know, the population you, is bigger now, too. Yeah, well, but my point being that, but like, you know, hit shows, you, it. Yeah. If, yeah, if you had a hit show, you might have, um, I mean, if you got, like, a, some of those hit shows were getting, like, a, a 30 share, 40 share, 50 share, mm-hmm. right? Which, which, what share means is, like, the available audience that they predict at that time, not necessarily the amount of televisions, but the available mm-hmm. audience that, every, you know, who, who's watching TV that night and what percentage of those people are watching that show. And when you're talking about a 50 share of 300 you know, million people, you're easily talking about 80 to 100 million viewers, I think. Crazy. You know, uh, 80 to 100 million viewers for, for a hit TV show. Compare that to um, The Walking Dead, mm-hmm. which was a massive hit TV show. And their audience was three to five million. Mm-hmm. 
It's everything shrinking. So my point being that, you know what? The content on the Grammys and the content on the Oscars and the content on the, on the Golden Globes, it just, it's when compared with other things we can be watching because we have more choices now, it's just not that interesting. Yeah. But I don't think that speaks to the music industry. Yeah. Um, I just think it speaks to all that crap. Like, hey, we're definitely going to go, you know, see the Marvel show. Uh, not going to worry about the stupid award show because you're grading, right? You're on right. my last nerve. Yeah. Uh, with, with that whole thing. So I just feel like that's a separate thing. Yeah, I agree. But what do you, what do you think in the context of what I've read so far? Where do you think I'm going with this, Brent? Uh, well, I'm not sure where you're going with it, but some things that pop into my mind are, okay, well, what percentage of music in general on, and I'm, I'm assuming it's talking about it like on streaming services, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, are older than 18 months. The vast, vast, vast majority of it. So that, so of course the new stuff is not, you know, you just go, it's against this overwhelming, you know, and some of it, by the time it gets legs, the, the later adopters hear of it, it's already in that 18 month, you know, window. Well, right? I, you know, I, I will tell you too. I think he, I think he does include terrestrial radio in this, but if you think about it, you know, I, I mean, it, it's, it, it, it's kind of built on terrestrial radio is always kind of built on that, right? You've got yeah. classic rock radio, mm-hmm. <laughs> you you know so, country all this stuff and yeah, you get the recurrence yeah. in there yeah so that's part of it's like well sheer numbers the vast majority is older than 18 months uh another thing that makes me makes me think about it too is like well wh- what's the alternative you want like 90 percent to be all stuff that's like newer than 18 months and so then when it's gone it is completely gone i want my music to have some legs so if i get yeah. a song on there it may not pop as big right then, but if it has some longer legs, meaning people are still listening to older stuff, that's good because that's retirement. I mean, when you got to get yeah. the streaming services to actually pay us something, Spotify. But assuming yeah. that gets worked out, you know, fairly, and there is some money to be made, yeah, I want my songs to have legs, and I don't want them just to be here and gone if they get you know placed. I don't want it to be gone after eighteen months, and then no one ever listens yeah. to it again, yeah. and I make that's no right. money. I like seeing yeah. old stuff show up on my statements. That's like right. It. You know, because you can build on that over time, and you don't have to go. Oh, if you don't have anything in the tart right now, you're screwed. Um, well, and well, I'm gonna, and I'm gonna, I gotta, I'm gonna weigh in on that too a little bit later. So, so those ahead. are some of the things I'm, I'm thinking immediately. So, so oh, you know, the other the thing is, no, new music, uh, old music's not killing new music. Joe Rogan is killing old music. <laughs> we won't get into all that but anyway <laughs> oh my god yeah he's a big fan of Joni Mitchell uh, he thinks that uh, Chucky's in Love is a great song yeah. I love that by the way Which <laughs> I think he did that on purpose Joni didn't write yeah <laughs> yeah yeah. that's uh, Ricky Lee Jones who I think by all intents and in all accounts is trying as hard as she can to be Joni Mitchell well, there so you go. it's easy but to get him confused but so. Um, so I I think I, I think this is a marketing. This is this is a report on the knee jerk reaction of the fact that nobody's honoring the digital platform. Mm-hmm. Okay, nobody's honoring the digital platform with the new songs, and uh, so we're going to get a little bit more into that too. Um, so let's go down. Um, <clears throat> he said, you know, some some would like to believe that this is just a short term blip, perhaps caused by the pandemic. 
Um, when clubs open up again and DJs start spinning new records at parties, the world will return to normal, or so we're told. The hottest songs will again be the newest songs. I'm not so optimistic. The perfect storm has hit the music ecosystem. A series of unfortunate events are conspiring to marginalize new music. The pandemic is one of these ugly facts, but hardly the only contributor to the growing crisis. There's that word, crisis. Crisis. Yeah. Consider these other trends. The hottest area of investment in the music business is old songs, with investment firms getting into bidding wars to buy publishing catalogs from aging rock and pop stars. The song catalogs in most demand are by musicians in their 70s or 80s, Bob Dylan, Paul Simon, Bruce Springsteen, etc., if they're not already dead, like David Bowie, James Brown, etc., even major record labels are participating in the shift with Universal Music, Sony Music, Warner Music, and others buying up publishing catalogs, investing huge sums in old tunes that in an earlier day would have been used to launch new artists. So I think they're saying, you know, that money would have been used to launch mm -hmm. a new artist. Um, so let's just take those points. There's more points here, but let's just take those. So this is definitely happening, but why is this happening? This is happening because streaming, unlike the way the, the way the old music industry product used to be consumed, was they sold stuff, CDs, cassette tapes, right. eight tracks, records. And that's where they made their money. And then when they started venturing into publishing, they got the record labels got money from publishing, which was created from radio, right? So you're getting publishing money from radio spins. And then that's uh, that. That's one revenue stream, and, and you're and you're selling records, right? You go sell ten million records uh, at sixteen bucks a pop. You know the labels are getting half of that, right? Um, that is that's bank, right? That's mm -hmm. money. Um, and because they all these songs are so, but my point being that there was a life cycle, there was an album cycle. And so once the album cycle is over, the sales are just practically non-existent, mm -hmm. except for very, very few examples like, you know, Back in Black or Dark Side of the Moon or, you know, records like that. But, but generally speaking, when it's over, it's over. So there's no more revenue coming in from that. Mm -hmm. unless, it, they, unless the label, which didn't, wasn't always the case until like, you know, in the eighties, but in the, in the fifties, sixties and seventies, man, the, the labels, they weren't doing those 360 deals. They weren't getting that publishing money. So, um, they, you know, if a song becomes like a staple on the radio, they're not going to see, uh, regular returns that are happening on that. But all this to say that the revenue stream, even the very biggest revenue streams become, they, they end, they fizzle out. OK, in the sense that um, if, you know, if you own the catalog uh, for the artist, then you can license it. There's certainly licensing money that mm. happens and it keeps those catalogs valuable. For instance, I will give you an example. Uh, I remember when Aerosmith went to Geffen Records, Geffen Records and John Collider brought Aerosmith back from the dead in the 80s and put out those four albums that, you know, that just skyrocketed them back to the top of the charts again and got everybody sober and got everybody working together. Now, Aerosmith was originally on Columbia Records. So two records in to um, Aerosmith's comeback, we've, we've got uh, permanent vacation and then pump and pump was the real, real, real big one. Right. Um, and so two records in to the four record deal with Geffen, 
Columbia re-signs Jeff, or, uh, Aerosmith. Mm-hmm. With the, with the, but nothing was done with the contract at Geffen. Like you're going to finish out the next two records with Geffen and then you're going to come back over to Columbia. Hmm. Right. And I'm like, I remember talking to some business buddies, business, music business friends. I'm like, why the hell would they do that? Who knows that if Steven tells him going to be alive, <laughs> yeah. like why would they? And, and, and the deal and the deal, they re-signed him to a $30 million record contract in the eighties in the late eighties. Okay. And I think 8 million of it was guaranteed. Wow. Right. So they got an $8 million check just for being Aerosmith while they were on a different label from their old record label. Yeah. Why did that happen? Because the contract on the catalog was coming up and they wanted to keep the catalog of all the original Aerosmith songs from the seventies. And, uh, and because the sinks on that are fantastic money generators right yeah so you can generate that money that way by exploiting the, those titles but those those can be trendy they can come and they can go mm-hmm. right so streaming all of a sudden takes a music catalog and and allows it to become an asset class investment Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once, new quick charge function, three customizable sound styles, plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Because there's regular, predictable revenue. Yes, I own the CD, but it's just easier to stream it. And every yeah. time I stream it, I'm generating revenue. So um, the now that there is predictable revenue, and by the way, this is important thing to understand for for our audience, because it you don't have to be. I mean, Bob Dylan's going to get four hundred got four hundred million dollars for his. God bless him. Mm-hmm. But there are companies out there that are working with every artist on much, much smaller levels that have, if you have regular steady traffic to your catalog, to even a song, Mm -hmm. one song, it doesn't matter if it's even trending downward, as long as it's relatively steady and predictable. Yeah, long tail. Yeah. Long tail. Then it starts to work like Wall Street. 
Okay. Like what are you, what are you betting on when you buy a share of stock from Apple or from GE or from General Motors? Like you're betting on predictable cash flow. Like they're mm-hmm. going to continue to do this and do that. And that's what creates the value in that stock. So they can go and borrow money against a regular, predictable, dependable cash flow stream, invest it elsewhere and bring it back. It creates all these other opportunities, right? That just wasn't available before streaming. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that's why all these companies like Mercury Curiatus with hypnosis and, um, you know, some of these other big investors are getting into this game because uh, there is long-term money with that because people can access it forever now. They're yeah. listening to a lot more Bruce Springsteen because they can stream it than they could if they, even if they owned the full catalog. Yeah. Right? It's just more convenient the way that it works. So I think that that's accurate in that, and that certainly works. And so therefore, these companies are also going to try to exploit those more. And there's more places to exploit them because we have social media now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We have many more platforms to put this music on that need ad content. Oh, yeah. That needs sync. That need, you know what I mean? So all of a sudden, that whole business is blown up. There's much more opportunity to be made. And so, um, you know, who are the major buyers, right? I mean, mm-hmm. it's, 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 it's going to be, it's always going to be synced typically to older music than to newer music. Yeah. Right. So, um, there's that. All right. Now, uh, he says the hottest technology in music is a format that, that is more than 70 years old, the vinyl LP. There's no sign that the record labels are investing in newer, better alternative stuff because they're here too. The old is viewed as superior to new. I think that record labels aren't investing a whole lot of money that they used to invest in the new artists because they straight up don't know how to do it. <laughs> yeah. If they did know how to do it, they would be doing it. Mm-hmm. Okay. And that's just the long and the short of it. I'm telling you, I'm in the middle of this. I'm up to my armpits in this. They don't know how to honor the digital platform. And so if you don't know what you're doing, then you're going to go with what you know, right? Mm-hmm. Or try to find other things. Now, the other thing to, to add into this is let's take Jimmy Iovine's comment um, from a, an article in in – the New York times in 2020 where he says, hail to the new artists. The, the, your time has come. Uh, it's not the artist's problem to worry about making more money for the labels and more money for the streaming services. It's the streaming services and the labels problem to figure out how to add better value to that artist. Why? Because where the labels used to be the gatekeepers, you don't, you can't make a record that's competitive without our capital. Mm -hmm. So we have to say yes. And you can't make that record successful without getting it on radio. So they have to say yes. And we're the only ones that can get them to say yes. So um, period, end of story, they own you, right? Like you can't rock the boat, but now whoever owns the traffic rules the road. Leverage. And and, and so, yeah, so, so you know, t- t- nobody's going to Spotify for Universal and nobody's going to Spotify for Spotify, the distributor. They're going to Spotify for Taylor Swift. Right. They're going to Spotify for Jay-Z. They're going to Spotify for Van Halen. Like they, you know, it, it so the They're artists- going to Spotify for Neil Young. Oh, wait. That's right. Not, oh, not no anymore. Mind. Yeah. Anyway, another, another <laughs> so, so, so they own the traffic. So therefore the power of the labels is shifting. Right. It's, it's, it's shifting incredibly. They don't have the power they used to have. So they can't um, it, it's not necessarily worth it for them to even try to come out with a new piece of technology, because I don't know how it's going to change from streaming, really. Yeah. You know, 
I, I don't I, I don't know what can be more uh, more convenient mm-hmm. than streaming. Yeah. So uh, he says, in fact, record labels were once a source of innovation innovation and consumer products don't spend any money on research and development to revitalize their businesses, although every other industry looks to innovation for growth and consumer excitement. Um, Record stores are caught up in the same time warp. Earlier in the day, they aggressively marketed new music, but now they make more money from vinyl reissues and used LPs. Radio stations are contributing to the stagnation, putting fewer new songs into the rotation or judging by the offerings on my satellite radio lineup, completely ignoring new music in favor of old hits. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, When a new song overcomes these obstacles and actually becomes a hit, the risk of copyright lawsuits is greater than ever before. Mm -hmm. The risks have increased enormously since the Blurred Lines jury decision in 2015, uh, with the result of uh, uh, that additional caskets transferred from today's musicians to old or deceased artists. Adding to the nightmare, dead musicians are now coming back to life in virtual form via holograms and deepfake music, making it harder for the young living artists to compete in the marketplace. And the marketplace. As record labels lose interest in new music, emerging performers desperately search for other ways of getting exposure. Exposure. They hope to get their self-produced tracks on curated streaming playlists or license their songs for use in advertising or for the closing credits of a TV show. But here's the problem. These options might generate some royalty income, but do little to build name recognition. Mm. He lumps. I, this is. I love that he's saying this. You know, he's lumping curated play, streaming playlists, which can make you a lot of money. Yeah. Okay, but he's saying that that and getting your songs licensed, let's say, on a TV show, uh, are not. The discovery part doesn't factor in there. Yeah. It doesn't help with the branding. It doesn't help for them to know who you are. You might hear a cool song on a TV commercial, but do you even know the name of the artist? You love your workout playlist at the health club, but how many song titles and band names do you remember? Right. You stream a Spotify new playlist in the background while you work, but did you bother to learn who's singing the songs? Answer, no. Because people have never consumed music that way. Mm Mm-hmm. Right. We have to we, we don't have, have to DJ get it going. And this is a new one from Reba McIntyre. Why haven't I heard that's from what, you? WDF that's right. X. Yeah. And they're, and, and they're not honoring the platform. And then just think about it, too. Like, when did you when have you ever seen a record label pay, put, do paid promotion mm-hmm. like they pay to put a song on the radio? Mm-hmm. They pay to put a new song on the radio to interrupt your listening experience. For those of you who are still listening to radio. But back in the day when we were all listening to radio, they're going to interrupt that experience by paying to get get their artist on the playlist in hopes that you'll hear it enough times and then love it. Yeah. Right, because it's a good song. Which, so by the why, way, why is since we don't know who they are on the playlist, that brings me back to my old idea of you need some sort of hype man or some sort of vocal brand in your a flag song on the front of that of, to go. I don't know who's a new artist. Uh, I don't know. Anyway, that's all point. Or, uh, this, this new this new artist I'm in love with right now. Let's let's go with Nicotine Dolls. All right, Nicotine Dolls. Boom, song hits. Why isn't that the yep, first part exactly. of the track? exactly okay it's because they're not on they're still trying to pretend that spotify is terrestrial radio don't make me look at my phone to find out who you are 
They're not honoring the digital platform. I'm going to say it again. They're not honoring the digital platform. This is why this is a mess, okay? Mm -hmm. Decades ago, composer Eric Sadie announced the arrival of Furniture Music, a kind of song that would blend seamlessly into the background of our lives, which seemed like a radical notion at the time, but this vision of the future rapidly is, is rapidly turning into the banal reality of today. And the lack of excitement among consumers is palpable. Some people, especially baby boomers, tell us that this decline in music is simply the result of lousy new songs. Music used to be better, so they say. The old songs had better melodies for more interesting harmonies and demonstrating genuine musicianship, not just software loops, auto-tuned vocals, and regurgitated samples. You know what? <sighs> they said Johnny Cash sucked when he came out, too. Elvis got booed off they the said Johnny Cash in Arkansas. Yeah, Johnny Cash wasn't uh, country when he came out. Just mm-hmm. ask the country experts back when he came out. This is nothing new. Well, how many right? times are you like, if you hear a song once, you're like, yeah, and then that fifth time you hear it, you're like, oh, that's really, oh, I get it, and it clicks, yeah. and all of a sudden it's brilliant. So we don't have that exactly. repetition to for exactly. it to in for me to appreciate it more. Thank you, um, not honoring the digital platform. That's part there, of the reason. He, I don't, it's, sorry, I'm interrupting, but part of the oh, reason ahead. I don't listen to as much new music might be like, say like, uh, and this has been over a year now, but it's like the Blake Shelton record came out, Body Language, right? <laughs> so that came out last year sometime. Um, and I, I was like, oh, I need to listen to new Blake Shelton record. And like, I hear the singles and stuff, but I need to go check out his whole record, right? For both personal and professional reasons, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and th- then I believe I did. And then it was like a month. I was like, oh, Yeah. I didn't, I listened to it, but I didn't get it. Like I didn't soak in it to know really like, what do I think about this to find that hidden gem on there? I need to go listen again because yeah. the uh, Bobby Bones called the, you know, the fire hydrant, you're just drinking from the fire hydrant. There are already, always so much new songs coming at you and new stuff that it's, it's hard to like harder to find one and latch on, especially to something new that you don't already know. Go, that's my new jam. Like it's just harder to do because there's so much and it's not sitting on my desk or sitting in my dashboard where I, in a physical product where I see it, it's like ethereal and so easy to, you know, disappear on me. Yeah. So can we just take what you said right there and let's think about old town road, right? Old town road got the repetition, didn't it? Yeah. And what happened to Old Town Road? It, it broke on a digital platform. It got the repetition it needed on a digital platform. And then it went to number one and broke billboard records for radio spins. Mm-hmm. Why? How did it get so big? Was it just this amazing music video that everybody fell in love with the first time they saw it and they kept playing it over and over and over and over and over again? No. No. No, it's not because whether, uh, you know, and there's a lot of savvy behind uh, Lil Nas X there to be sure. And I don't want to take anything away from him. Like this cat is brilliant. Okay. He's freaking brilliant, but you know, he couldn't have predicted the, um, he could not have predicted the, the, um, the repetitiveness uh, of user-generated video content being synced to his song. No, there's TikTok. Yeah, on TikTok, mm-hmm. right? So there is a situation where whether he understood it or not um, or meant to do it or not, it doesn't matter. The fact remains that that song and the promotion behind that song honored the digital platform. Mm-hmm. 
And he's a big freaking deal. Now, it got him a record deal. Yeah. You know? So, um, this is a, you got to honor the digital platform. This is what, this is a, this is a, this is an indictment of everybody in the music industry who is not honoring the digital platform. That's what we're reading here. So he goes on to say, I can understand the frustrations of music lovers getting no satisfaction from the current songs, though they try and try. I also lament the lack of imagination on many current hits, but I disagree with their larger verdict. I listen to two or three hours of new music every day, and I know that there are plenty of outstanding young musicians out there. The problem isn't that they don't exist, but that the music industry has lost its ability to discover and nurture their talents. Mm. The problem isn't that they good artists don't exist. It's just that the music industry has lost its ability to discover and nurture their talents. The, what, they can discover them. They're discovering them. Yeah. The music industry has lost its ability to get you to discover it, to make it discoverable, yeah. to promote it. They don't know how to promote it. That's the problem. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the record labels know how to nurture talents and they know how to discover talent yep. because the talent's still knocking on their door, hoping to get that record. Mm-hmm. But what they don't know how to do is to get the masses to discover it now yeah. because they don't know how to honor the digital platform. Um, he says there are many reasons for this. Some of them are quite alarming. For example, the fear of copyright lawsuits has made many in the music industry deathly afraid of listening to unsolicited demo recordings. Yeah. If you hear a demo today, you might get sued for stealing its melody, or maybe it's just rhythmic groove five years from now. Try mailing a demo to a label producer and watch it return unopened. Like, this is true, but this isn't what's happening in the marketplace. This is what's happening in publishing. This is hard if you don't have a relationship in publishing to get your song cut by somebody else. Mm -hmm. But the bottom line is the labels aren't going to – they don't give a crap how good your music is. Uh, They don't need to open that thing if you're an artist they don't need to open the envelope and listen to it because they don't all they're going to look at is your socials do you have traffic because we can't create it for you yeah so that's what they want to know so they don't they just i mean look at bad baby they don't care <laughs> yeah you know yeah. they don't they, they're just interested in, in who's got traffic who's who's who, who's got attention and he says, and he goes on to say, this is a bizarre situation. No, the people whose livelihood depends on discovering new musical talent face legal risks if they take their jobs seriously. Yeah. And that's one of the, the deleterious results of the music industry's over-reliance on lawyers and litigation. A hard-ass approach they once hoped would cure all their problems, but now does more harm than good. Everybody suffers in this litigious environment, except for the partners at the entertainment law firms who enjoy the abundant fruits of all the lawsuits and legal threats. You know, Um, I mean, I tell songwriters that, you know, when a publisher opens your opens an envelope or whatever, mm -hmm. you know, or opens an email, they're more likely to find a lawsuit in there than they are to find a hit song. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't know the math on that, but I know there ain't many hit songs out there that are going to come in randomly. That's right. And, and again, you know what overcomes that relationship? Exactly. Yeah. Like, no you know, it, it, it's just a different it's a different way to get in the circle. And you know what overcomes that? And that's in the, the writer world where you're trying to get cuts. That's in your world. Yeah. In the artist world. You know what overcomes that? Money talks and bullshit walks, Ian. You know, Bobby Fleckman, the hostess with the mostest. Right? Like, <laughs> like, show me 
a boatload of streams and video views and everything like that. And I'm going to show you an artist that's turning down phone calls left and right from everybody in the industry that no. wants to help them, that wants to sign them. You know, I, okay. But even with like co-writes, um, you know, I've, I'm booking my next trips. So I'm reaching out to people to, you know, get rights on this trip and everything. And uh, one of the guys responded, he was like, Hey, I want to bring in this artist. Uh, she's great over, you know, X amount of, you know, spins, blah, 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 independent. But, you know, this you know, basically just threw some numbers at me. I was like, great, I'm in. And then I go listen to the music. <laughs> uh, For one thing, and it's like, no like and trust. Like that person who wants to bring this person in, um, I trust that there's a level that that artist is going to be worth the time because he is curating, right? Do you think she's worth yeah. the time? All right, probably so. Oh, and Artie has that kind of streams? Okay. Yeah, I'm in. Then I'll go listen to some music. So I can yeah. prep, but I'm already in. I haven't heard of Nick. Yeah. Yes. And, 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 and so there it is. I mean, you know, it's, it's boiling down to that, but this is this. If you look at this negatively, then go find another job because you need somebody else to do something for you. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like you have to look at this, like, Oh, I can overcome this because oh, yeah. this has never been easier to overcome this than it was before. Uh, for you to write your own ticket. If you learn how to honor the digital platform, you are, do you see, do you see how much of a position you are in to actually pummel the, the major labels yeah. who you think are the untouchable golden gods that you need for your career? You just need to do it differently than they do because they're not doing it right either. Yeah. You know, but he says that he goes on to say the problem goes much deeper than just copyright concerns. People running the music industry have lost confidence in the new music business. They won't admit it publicly. That would be like the priests of Jupiter and Apollo in ancient Rome admitting their gods are dead. Hmm. Even if they know it's true, their job titles won't allow such a humble and abject confession. Okay, I don't consider that to be necessarily true of the music industry as much as it is a statement about radio yeah nobody in radio wants to admit not forget publicly to themselves that it's dead yeah and they don't i'm in the middle of this right now with an artist i can't talk about it publicly but oh my gosh we are starting to see two months in no heat maps no nothing mm -hmm. and Everybody's looking to Johnny. When are we starting the digital campaign? <laughs> yeah. You know, <laughs> um, because it's not happening. Um, it's exactly what's happening in the music business, he says. The moguls have lost their faith in the redemptive and life-changing power of new music. How sad is that? Of course, the decision makers need to pretend that they still believe in the future of their, of their businesses and want to discover the next revolutionary talent, but that's not what they really think. Their actions speak much louder than their empty words. They haven't lost faith in new music. They've lost faith in their ability to push it. Mm -hmm. And so that they can't get the masses to respond to it with a repeatable, dependable marketing pipeline that was terrestrial radio, then... They don't know what to do. Yeah. And so we're not going to put the money in it to fail when, you know, show me the numbers, right? I know back in the day, if I get a good song from an unknown artist, a hit song from an unknown artist, we can make that thing rock. Yeah. Right. We can make it rock. We can get people will freak out and we can turn this band into something. It's a huge launching pad that doesn't exist now because their whole 
approach, the label's whole approach to even just to social media, forget about digital marketing. Social media is let the artist do it. Yeah. Let the management company handle it. As opposed to, hey, let's figure this out and and bring it back to the days of old Hollywood back in the 20s where we're going to sign Ava Gardner because she's hot (laughs) and we're going to bring her in here and we're going to teach her how to sing and dance and act and how to give uh, interviews and how to behave on TV and in an interview. And you know what I mean? And turn them into these. This is Hollywood used to mold these people. That's where Marilyn Monroe came from. That's where Ava Gardner came from. Um, And, you know, for the for for them to say, hey, we're going to show you how to if they knew what to do, that's what they'd be. Come on in. We're going to put you through this school and teach you how to how to make this happen and show you what to do. And then. It's it's there. It's repeatable. It's predictable. But they're not doing anything about it yet. Right. Um, so uh, he says, in fact, nothing is less interesting to music executives than a completely radical new kind of music. Who can blame them? The radio stations will only play songs that fit the dominant formulas. Why? Because they're sinking. They can't rock the boat. If you can imagine a boat sinking, right? And if you've ever seen it happen. Um, I grew up on a lake. I've I've been in this position many times, okay? When a boat starts to sink and it's still kind of floating, but it just hasn't gone completely under the water, but it's just barely above the water, uh, any slight movement and you're going to rock that boat and it's going to tip over and sink. Yeah. Which is what? Right? Yeah. Which is which is worse, right? Um, so, so it, they it's it that's where it is. It's 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 like barely the deck is barely above the water. It's about to go down. It's being artificially supported, and they can't rock the boat because then if they lose one iota of audience, it's over. Yeah. Right? That's how close. To, to being done that it is. It's just, it's like, it's like when they say like the black rhinoceros is, is extinct, but there's still a couple left. You know what yeah. I mean? Because like, there's no way that they're going to reproduce back to being uh, yeah. a non-extinct species. So that's where radio is right now. Yeah. All right. And he said, it's even more true for the algorithms curating so much of our new music. The algorithms are designed to be feedback loops, ensuring that the promoted new songs are virtually identical to your favorite old songs. Anything that genuinely breaks the mold is excluded from consideration almost as a rule. That's actually how the current system has been designed to work. Well, that is if your business model is, once again, to what? Get on the playlists Mm -hmm. to break? You can get on some playlists and make some money. God bless you. Yeah. Two things can be true at the same time. You're not going to break there, you know? Um, and then he says, even the music genre is famous for shaking up the world, like rock, jazz, or hip hop face the same deadening mindset. He says, I love jazz, but for many of the radio stations focused on that genre, they, they play songs that sound almost the same as what they featured 10 or 20 years ago. In many cases, they're actually playing the same songs that are 10 or 20 years old. Because that doesn't have to be the case. A lot of musicians around the world, especially in L.A. and London, are conducting a bold dialogue between jazz and other contemporary styles. They're even bringing jazz back as dance music. Hmm. But the songs they release sound dangerously different from older jazz and thus are excluded from the many radio stations for that very reason. This very boldness with which they embrace the future becomes the reason why they get rejected by the gatekeepers. Um, what's this all about? Radio, radio, yeah. radio's rejecting them. The same thing is happening everywhere else. A country record needs to sound a certain way to get played on most country radio stations or playlists. 
And that dates back to the last century. And don't even get me started on classical music, which works hard to avoid showcasing the creativity of the current generation. Guys, this is all just talking about radio now. Yeah. You know, as if as if radio would play all brand new music, this would change. It sort of presupposes that in the argument, doesn't it? Yeah. It doesn't. Now, check this out. I learned the danger of excessive caution long ago when I consulted to huge Fortune 500 companies. The single biggest problem I encountered, shared by virtually every large company I analyzed, was investing too much of their time and money into defending old ways of doing business rather than building new ones. Mm -hmm. Think about the taxi cab industry versus Uber. Right. God forbid you should just create a freaking app and compete with them instead of spending all the money you have trying to get rid of them. Right. Right. We even had a proprietary tour for quantifying this misallocation of resources, which spelled out the mistakes in dollars and cents. But um, senior management, um, I mean, we can go on with this, but these are the points I wanted to make. That's basically the whole article. Guys, this is, this, this is a crisis. But this is a crisis with a buttload of opportunity for the artists who begin to start thinking differently. Stop chasing radio and start being where the labels aren't. Let them go down with radio mm -hmm. and you start showing up in my feed with constant contact, with content, uh, you know, TikTok-like content that you create. You know, if you get a user-generated viral video that, that, that takes off on TikTok, God bless you. But look at the strategy. That's how Old Town Road broke. Mm -hmm. You can recreate that. To get that hook in, you have to manufacture the, the repetition on a digital platform because they're only going to watch your killer video twice. Yeah. That's it. So there it is guys. I mean, I love this article in a sense. Like <laughs> it's like, tell. here's, here's all the crap that's going wrong. Yeah. And it's like, yes. And it's all fixable. As soon as people start, you know, stop trying to do business the old mm -hmm. way. Like the final thing I'll put on this is like, this is not new to the music industry. This is, this is every business. Um, and it's hard when you get that big and you're publicly traded, you can't shift on a dime. Right. Okay. Like if you're the biggest buggy whip company, when Henry Ford comes out with the, with the, with the assembly line mm -hmm. and people start buying cars instead of horses, you can't go to your, the buggy whip company can't go to the board of directors and say, we're going to start making cars. Right. They're like, that's not what we do. Yeah. We're about, you know, figure out how to make this crap profitable. Right. And we're going to do it the same way. And so they have to be left in the dust. Mm -hmm. You see, like there wasn't a buggy whip company that morphed into a car company. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And, and he talks like Seth Godin talks about Procter and Gamble. You know, their first product was ivory soap. Mm -hmm. came out in 1823. Wow. First product ever invented to replace homemade soap. They're still marketing ivory soap the same way they did in 1823, mm -hmm. even though it's not working anymore. Mm -hmm. Because you can't tell them any differently. How are you going to question the sales heritage of a 200-year-old company? <laughs> yeah. The new, the new blood that knows what's going on can't do that or they're going to be fired. You see, so it's it's a long, slow turn, and this is a tremendous opportunity for artists. So that's all I wanted to say about that, guys. Um, if you want to get your head around 
this, this more, there is a, a free PDF download that is called Whoever Owns the Traffic Rules the Road. Go to giftfromjohnny.com, J-O-H-N-N-Y, giftfromjohnny.com, and tell me where to send it. It's yours. I break all this stuff down, data, facts, everything. Here's what you need to focus on. Here's what you, here's what you need to be doing to adapt. And whoever adapts first is going to win. All right. And there's a lot more layers to this, but we don't have enough time right now. But um, bottom line is this podcast exists because we want you to win. So keep on climbing. And we'll see you at the top. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.